scripture reading this morning is from Revelations chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things say, He who has seven spirits of God and seven stars, I know your works, that name, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that are already to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garden, garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his, his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I hope that you have taken out your Bible and you're ready to study along from the Word of God with us this morning. We're going to be studying from Revelation chapter 3, which we've just had in our reading this morning. We are so thankful for your presence and your interest in spiritual things, and we hope that you are encouraged as a result of our time together in studying from the Word of God. The church in Sardis, not a lot of good things to hear in fact, Jesus, in this message to the church at Sardis, He tells them that you have a name, that you're alive, but really, you're dead. You think about the seriousness of that kind of message. You have to wonder, what if Jesus were to look at this local congregation? And what would He say to us? And what if He said that? That you think you're alive. You think you're doing well. You think you're doing what's right. You think you are faithful. You think you have a name for yourself. But really, you're dead. That might seem as kind of odd. We might be able to say we're unified. We're at peace. There are no major divisions. We teach the truth. We are of sound doctrine. We have people who love each other. We have people who love the Lord. We have people who love the truth and that we study and we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. But what if Jesus were to tell us you are really dead? That'd be a frightening message to hear. And I can only imagine how that might have startled the church at Sardis to hear that kind of message. And what would cause a church to die? What would cause a church that was trying to serve the Lord with, and as Jesus says, you have a few people who have not soiled their garments. There were a few who were faithful. There were a few who were still serving the Lord. He, what would they think? And we have to start wondering and asking ourselves, why would a church like that die? And I think there's a serious warning there that we need to think about 
so that we can avoid the same kind of message that Jesus might have for many churches today. Churches that think they are alive but are really dead. I think that is what propels many congregations of the Lord's people to try to revive their congregation by turning to things that are unauthorized and that are not beneficial, that do not harmonize with the Scriptures. And so we wanted to ask this morning, what would cause a church to die? After someone might pass away, and if there is some suspicion around that death, many times there might be an autopsy that's performed so that you can find out what was the cause of death, the COD. And that might be a valid question for many churches to think about. What would cause a church to die? And I think we can see a few answers from this text that Jesus, as He talks about, is the first one that I think He suggests is that they trust in their reputation. He says in in verse 1, as He says to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. They had a name, but it did not match the actual spiritual reality of the condition of the church. They had a name that they were alive. They had a reputation that this was a strong, thriving, growing church. Sardis, you wouldn't have thought this was like the church at Corinth. You would think this is a good church. This is a growing church. It's a thriving church. That was the reputation that they carried. And yet this is a church that was on life support. As Jesus says that they were nearly dead, He says in verse 2, wake up and strengthen the things that remain which were about to die. This is a church that is ready to die. And the church deceived themselves into thinking that they had done what was right. And Jesus says you need to wake up. That you need to not keep sleeping on the job. And while there is something to be said about having a good reputation, we need to strive for having a good reputation. We cannot trust in that reputation alone. In the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 6, you'll remember that when there were some problems that were going on in the early church, in Acts chapter 6, the apostles, they said, we're not going to quit preaching in order to serve tables but that you need to find seven men of good reputation. And the reason that he, they said that you need to find those men of good reputation, they found several men, including Stephen, their character matched their reputation. And that is how it ought to be. A, re, a good reputation is a commendable thing. A good reputation is something that we ought to have as a result of good, godly character. Because character is what everything is all about. But there are many people who just trust in a good reputation, but their character does not match that reputation. And the same can be true not only just for individuals, but also for churches as well. Because a reputation might accurately reflect the past, but it is no assurance of future behavior. That's why I think many people have a difficult time trusting someone who might have been wild in their youth and yet grows up to be a fairly decent human being. You can think of many politicians or something of that nature where they might 
find something in their past and yet it only reflects some wild, reckless behavior in their youth. And it may not be a good reputation. They may not have a good reputation in their past, but maybe their character has changed. People can change. Churches can change. And congregations of the Lord's people must not rest on their laurels and trust in their past. The past may be a good foundation for which we stand, but we must not trust so much in what we have been to the extent that we believe that we will always be that way. The church at Sardis, they were dead. That implies that they were once alive. And so here they have trusted in their reputation. They have rested on their laws. They have just trusted in what they used to be. But they have digressed over time. That is something that can happen to churches. They can go from good to bad. The church according. They were at one time pure, but they had become corrupted. The church at Laodicea in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 3, they went from hot or cold to lukewarm. Churches will always be battling the temptation and the test to trust within themselves and believe that enough is good enough. And I think that's something that we have to be careful for. Because complacency can set in. And we can become like that church at Laodicea where we become lukewarm. Complacency can set in and we begin to trust in that reputation. We hold to our reputation rather than what we really are. And a church that trusts in the reputation, that could be a church that dies. What is our character? What are we really made of? Are we committed to the truth? Are we committed committed to worshiping the Lord each and every first day of the week? Are we committed to worshiping Him in a way that is pleasing to Him, in a way that's, that He has prescribed and has taught us? Are we committed to the mission of sharing the Gospel? Are we committed to doing what is right and teaching others and encouraging those who are struggling? Are we committed to that? Or do we just have a reputation that we do those things? Does our reputation match our good, godly character? That's a question we always have to ask ourselves as a congregation of God's people. Are we committed to doing what is right? Because a church that trusts in their reputation, that could be a church that at one time did what was right, at one time was committed to doing the good things, but they begin to neglect those things. Which is exactly what Jesus warns about. Secondly, in verse 2, He says, Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. The church at Sardis was about to die because they were being negligent in areas that they were weak in. Strengthen what remains, he says. You think about the need to strengthen what remains. There might be a congregation that is struggling, like Sardis, a church that has been battle tested a little bit, and they've become weakened from where they once were, from 
maybe they've gone through some things, some difficulty things, some difficult things where someone has left the Lord and they've had to, to practice church discipline, or maybe there has been a church that has had false teaching that has come in, they've had to rebuke and they've had to teach and correct. Strengthen what remains, he says. After you have surgery, sometimes you have to have physical therapy. Physical therapy can sometimes be painful, but it's necessary if you want to continue to use your body in the way that it is supposed to function. And if you don't do that physical therapy, then you'll grow weaker and weaker. Or any homeowner that owns a home, they understand that you better not wait too long to make repairs. Because if you don't do it immediately, then it's going to create a bigger and bigger problem that's going to be more expensive. You get it when it's early. Whenever there are churches that are struggling, and the thing to do is not turn a blind eye. The thing to do is not neglect those areas that need improvement. We need to be committed to growing and improving. We need to be committed to working and working out those areas because negligence gives a false sense of security. We may think the church is at peace. We may think that everyone is getting along, but underneath where people are holding grudges, and there are disagreements. Those who are harboring ill will towards others. They need to work on those relationships. They need to continue to strive for peace. They need to sit down and they need to talk. They need to seek for peace. I believe there are many, there are several kinds of churches, but I think you can categorize them in usually one or two areas. Where there are churches who have weathered difficulties, trials, and overcome them. Because they have been committed to improving and growing and striving to do what's right. Where they want to continue to do what is pleasing to God, and so they will weather the storms, the trials as they come. They will roll with the punches, and they will, they will seek to grow. That's one kind of church. The second kind of church, though, those who improve and push towards perfection or those who refuse to improve and push on towards perfection, they create a false sense of peace. They ignore the problems. That leads to greater problems. Refusing to work and improve on areas we need to work on, it only makes us weaker. It doesn't make us stronger. Turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we learn something about our God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and in verse 7, we learn something about our God in our service to Him. That God is deserving of our best. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and in verse 7, Paul writes to the church at Corinth about their giving. He says, but just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. The idea of abounding, that you continue to grow and increase and that you're always 
having something to give to God. And we need to strive for excellence. And we need to look and we need to evaluate where are some things that we could improve in. I believe any church that is committed to growing and that is not willing to just sit back and die, a church that neglects the areas that they could improve in, they're going to see their weaknesses. They're going to be truthful. They're going to be doing some introspection where their leaders are going to say, okay, here are some things that we do well. Here are some things that we need to improve on. And they're not going to neglect those areas. They're going to say, okay, let's be committed to improving here. Where we want to be committed to evangelism. We want to be committed to growing spiritually and allowing our members to continue to grow and to gain a better knowledge of God's Word. We want to improve in our worship, in our services. We want to increase the number of teachers that we have in our Bible classes. And so we want to give them the tools that they can have to be successful. We don't want to neglect any of those areas. We want to improve in those areas. We want to encourage our young men to become elders and deacons in the Lord's church. And so we begin teaching on that. We begin encouraging that at an early age. We don't want to neglect that because if we neglect that encouragement to eventually get to that point where they're qualified, then eventually you may not have elders or deacons. The same is true for Bible class teachers. We want to encourage people to become teachers. Now imagine for a moment that you received a letter from the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter the Apostle John, just one of the apostles. And maybe they would say, okay, here are some things that you're doing really well, but here are some things that you need to improve in. Would you just ignore that letter? Would you just you know, toss it in the trash? Say, well, that's their, that's their opinion. I don't think that's what I would do. I hope that's not what I would do. I hope that's not what you would do. The church at Sardis in Revelation chapter 3, they received a message from Jesus. And Jesus is telling them, you don't need to neglect these things. You need to wake up. You need to realize where you're at. You need to realize your spiritual condition and strengthen what remains. Don't ignore it. Don't neglect it. He says, because I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. Don't ignore the messages and the warnings that have been given to us. church at Sardis was being given a wake-up call. They needed to wake up from their stupor. They needed to wake up and realize that there are some things that they needed to make some improvements in before it was too late. And then Jesus, He tells them that they had forgotten. They had forgotten some very important things. And this is another reason that a church would die, is if they forget. If they forget what they had once been taught. Jesus says in verse 3 of Revelation chapter 3, So remember what you have received and heard. 
and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. He says, you need to remember what you received and what you have heard. You need to remember. That's an important word, isn't it? You need to remember what you had once been taught. It implies that they had forgotten some things that they needed to be committed to. Forgetting things eventually leads to false practice. And while that false practice may not always be blatant, in fact it rarely is, it can become quite subtle. And it's an attitude that develops over time. You know, churches that creep into apostasy, they leave the truth, they leave the Lord. It's been described, sort of the process that they undergo is that first you have a church, a church that speaks the truth. They preach the truth. They are very clear and they, are, they define where they stand. They define what the Bible teaches and they go through and they describe those things very clearly. They preach against sin and immorality. They preach what the church needs to be doing and how the church needs to be functioning. But then as time creeps on, they quit talking about the truth as much. And they say, well, yeah, they kind of had this attitude, yeah, we believe this, but we just don't talk about this. We'll illustrate that in a little bit. But then as they quit talking about the truth that they say they believe, that gives time and space for error to creep in. And then you have unspoken error that comes into the church. So you develop from where you are speaking the truth to an unspoken truth, to unspoken error that has come into the church. And then eventually that church begins to espouse and speak and teach error over time. That's why churches cannot forget the importance of talking about biblical authority, of the work of the church. Because if we forget to talk about those things, if we quit talking about those things, if we quit talking about command examples and inferences, or if we quit talking about evangelism or edification or benevolence, then we open the door for error to creep in. If we forget to talk about errors in regard to marriage, divorce, and remarriage, or if we quit talking about premillennialism or denominationalism, then that process can take place if we don't speak against some of those sins and errors. If we just say, well, yeah, we don't believe that, but we're not going to talk about that. We refuse to preach on those things. Then we open the door for apostasy. We need to be committed to preaching and teaching because we cannot afford to forget what we have been taught. In the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 5, 
as the Hebrew writer was warning about those who were not growing, that they had become dull of hearing. He says in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. They had forgotten the most basics, the elementary principles, he says. that They needed someone to teach them again. They ought to be teachers by a number of years of being a Christian. They ought to be able to teach. They ought to be capable of that. But now they need someone to teach them again the most basic fundamentals of the Gospel. Because you have come to need milk and not solid food. And he goes on to talk about the implications of those who need milk, he says in verse 13, for everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. And those who are committed to growing those who are having a healthy diet of God's Word, they have their senses trained and exercised. They're able to determine what is right and what is wrong. The person who is only partaking of milk, he says they are not accustomed to the Word of righteousness. They don't know it. They're not used to it. They're not familiar with it. And what we learn in Revelation chapter 3 about the church at Sardis is that faithful and living churches do not ignore and they do not forget. They remember. That's why Jesus admonishes them and says, so remember what you received and what you have heard and keep it and repent. Faithful and living churches will not ignore or forget. They learn and they receive the truth. They continue to preach and teach the things they received at the beginning. And so if you were to do an autopsy of the church at Sardis, that you see very quickly and very easily that they forgot what they had been taught. But not only that... They had neglected the things that they needed to improve on. And then they had at first just trusted in their reputation. That's a recipe for a church to die. But what I like about what Jesus says to the church at Sardis is that it isn't a message of just only doing gloom. There's a message of grace. There's a message of repentance. There, Jesus, He says in verse 3, So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. And if they would repent, Jesus would acknowledge them. 
He says in verse 5, He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Jesus encourages us to repent when we fail. Jesus is willing to forgive. He's willing to receive us back. And then you can see again in verse 4 where Jesus says, but you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with Me in white for they are worthy. Jesus says there are some who are faithful and there are some who will be rewarded. Even though the great majority of the congregation names were ready to be blotted out of the Lamb's book of life because they were spiritually dead. That does not mean that you have to remain spiritually dead. Jesus implores us to come back to Him. To not remain dead, but to be found faithful and to come back to Him. Jesus, He ends this message in verse 6. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Anyone who hears this message need to understand it. They need to listen. They need to pay attention. They need to respond to it. They need to obey it. Church at Sardis, they needed to fix some things. They were a dead church. And Jesus, He does not want them to be cast into the lake of fire. And yet, in the, book of, in the end of the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 20 and in verse 15, Jesus says, And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's not what Jesus desires for you. He desires for you to rest and enjoy an eternity in heaven with Him. In His presence before His throne where Jesus is the light. In Revelation chapter 22 and in verse 3, there's the picture of the glory of heaven. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His bondservants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and there will no longer be any night. And they will not have any need of the light of the lamp nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. Jesus has a message through the church at Sardis, you're dead. But Jesus offers eternal life where you can dwell with Him and before God's throne for all of eternity. A message of grace, a message of hope, a message of repentance. We need to learn from the autopsy of the church at Sardis. Not just trust in our reputation. We need to always be seeking to do what is right. 
We need to be committed to looking and examining things that we could improve in. We need to be committed to growing. Committed to doing the things that and making improvements in our life before the Lord. And we need to always be committed to teaching the truth and not forget those things. If we're going to be committed to God's Word, then that is the key to receiving the eternal reward. This morning, if you are considering in your life that you have not been faithful, that you've not been living for the Lord, that you need to come to Christ to have your sins forgiven, we'd encourage you to take the step to become a child of God. To come in faith and repent of your sins. Make the confession that you believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and be baptized in water. We're here to help you make that commitment to following the Lord. To have your name entered into the Lamb's book of life. And if you have made that commitment to following the Lord, but you've been found unfaithful, maybe you've been found to be spiritually dead, you've not been serving God to the best of your abilities, won't you repent? Won't you come back to the Lord? We want to encourage you to do that before it's eternally too late. Jesus is willing to forgive you. He's willing to accept you back. And He's willing to not blot your name out of the book of life, if you will come back to Him and seek God's mercy and His forgiveness. If we can help you in some way this morning, would you come now as we stand and as we sing?